I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is How to Citizen with Baratunde, a show where we reimagine the word citizen, reclaim it from those who weaponized it, and remind us all of our collective power. We have a definition of this civic power, which is broad and goes far beyond the purely political. This show is not how a bill becomes a law. This show is about power and who has the power to determine the quality of our lives. We believe the correct answer is all of us. Welcome to our very first episode, Prelude. Revolutionary love is how to citizen. I'm Baratunde. I've been working on this show for years. I've been dreaming of seeing or hearing something like it for most of my adult life. And at this present time, 
It feels urgent. We are in an intense moment of history, of pandemic, of revolution, of way too many streaming services, am I right? Our democracy is at a tipping point, but which way it tips, that's up to us. We're making this show to help tip it in the direction of more justice and more power for more people. And yeah, I said this is episode zero. See, what had happened was our plan for episode one involved two guests, but then we heard that first guest in that conversation, or should I say our zeroth guest? We heard her words and we knew we needed to give them an entire episode so they could breathe, so you could breathe with them because she so eloquently expressed the spiritual core of what we're all about. We have long felt that the concept of how to citizen is really about our relationship with each other, but also our relationship with ourselves. And in order to truly be in community with each other, to show up for one another, we have to show up for ourselves. And that may involve examining who we are, examining our relationship with ourselves first. This episode's guest is the perfect person to help us in that project because she has a definition of citizenship that includes more than external actions in the world out there. She conceives of a role with internal changes we must make to our minds and to our hearts. I think of this episode as the spiritual invocation of the project we're about to embark on. So, check out my conversation with Valerie Cower. Stay until the end, because we're going to give you some things you can do. And welcome to the show, citizen. I'm holding the book of my very first guest, Valerie Cower, right here. See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love. And when I look at the back cover, it's got a long list. Valerie, you got a long list of dope, comma-separated value uh, to represent some of your contributions to this world. Civil rights activist, lawyer, filmmaker, innovator, founder of the Revolutionary Love Project. But I'm going to give a long-winded intro, and I bear some patience with me, Valerie, because I think I need to do this. I think our listeners need to hear this, and I want you to hear it. In November of 2016, I woke up after that election, having watched that election with a group of about 10 people, only two of whom had all four parents born in the United States of America. We were a witnessing of immigrants to our minds and ears tragic moment in U.S. history. Roughly a month after that, I'm hanging out on Facebook where only bad things happen as far as I was concerned at that time. Like that's where bad news comes to hunt you down. That's where Russians interfere with the election. And I saw you. I saw you say these words that spoke so true uh, that said, what if this darkness that we're feeling that we're in is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb. And this isn't the death of our country. This is the birth. And that really moved me. And it still moves me to even say it, to be able to say it to you. And then a few months later, I met you and I screamed from across a crowded room, like some film scene. That's the woman who moved me with such poetry because it has felt like such a dark time. That day felt dark, but we've been in years of what has seemed to be like darkness. So I say that as a setup. One, 
Thank you very much for that moment and for being a light in darkness to help draw so many of us out of that. Two, welcome to How to Citizen. It's good to have you. <laughs> <laughs> that is a welcome, sir. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You're very welcome. Thank you. Can I say? You can say. That's why you're here. Please say. That question, is this the darkness of the tomb or is this the darkness of the womb? It is the question I have been asking myself every day. And I think it's both. Mm. I think it's both when, you know, almost 150,000 people have been killed by this virus, the scale and scope of which was preventable if we had real leadership disproportionately people of color, when we see George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Rayshard Brooks, all those that we have lost that we will never be able to get back, it feels as though death has won. And there's also a bit of dying of the notion of the nation that we thought we were. And yet, <laughs> we're also seeing millions of people flood city streets in their grief, in their rage, rising up, breathing together, reimagining together in a revolutionary moment for Black lives and racial justice that, frankly, I never thought I would see in my lifetime. And when we see, you know, a wall of white people in front of Black people kneeling in the street in front of an army of police officers, these are images we didn't see in 1968 or in 1992. And so I keep thinking, ah, am I seeing glimpses? Are we seeing glimpses of the America that is longing to be? So yeah, breathe and push. Just <laughs> breathe and push. Breathe and push. You have um, acknowledged, built on, borrowed from a number of traditions in your work, Valerie. You are a lawyer. You have a degree in law. You have a degree in divinity. You have a degree of bachelor's arts from a lot of institutions. You are very credentialed. The thing that I'm actually most curious about, it came very early in your book, See No Stranger. You wrote, I grew up on 40 acres in Clovis, California. And I want to know, did you have a mule as well? Like, did you have 40 acres <laughs> and the mule? Because I'm just, I'm still looking for that. And I was wondering, like, you didn't have the mule. Oh. <laughs> we didn't even have a cow. My dad got the cow, but by the time I was born, we just got the strawberries. And yeah, my, my family has lived and farmed in California for more than a century. And so I grew up with such a deep connection to this land, to this soil. And I was raised with my grandparents, so I still grew up with the stories and the scriptures and the songs of my Sikh faith. And so that was my orientation to the world. And, it, you know, it wasn't severed, of course, until I experienced my first racial slur, like so many of us young kids of color. And I feel like my whole life has been a journey of returning to feeling at home in my body. <laughs> Yeah. And at home in the world. The project that we are embarking on, not just as a podcast, but as a society, you know, it feels like we have this moment. We're at this tipping point, and which way we tip is not a foregone conclusion. It's not guaranteed to be great, but it's also not guaranteed to be devastating. So tomb or womb feels like it's up to us. Yes. You just said in my body. And I think there's a lot of this work which feels very external. It's about giving money to organizations. It is about getting to know our neighbors, you know, as real people and supporting folks on the ground doing work and re-engaging with our democracy, with our bodies out there. 
But what do you think, and you might have some thoughts on the internal work. Yeah. What is the, the body of each of us? How do we get in touch with that? What is the role of that, I think, in this act of citizenship, of power to the people? Yes. Nako beri nehi vagana. Nako beri nehi vagana. I see no enemy. I see no stranger. These were the words of Guru Nanak, the founder of the Sikh faith. And really, he was just lifting up a call to love that has been on the lips of indigenous leaders and spiritual teachers and social reformers for so many centuries. And this is not about a belief that we hold in our head. I mean, anti-racism is in the air and so many good people are holding it as an idea in their minds, like trying to be anti-racist, trying to be, and actually it doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> to be truly anti-racist is to orient to the world in a new way. And so I'm inviting people into thinking about what it means to see no stranger. George Floyd, brother, Breonna Taylor, sister, their children, our children. When we see no stranger, when we are brave enough to see no stranger, then it must mean being brave enough to let their grief into our own hearts and to fight for them when they are in harm's way. So revolutionary love is when we are brave enough to see no strangers, not out there and not in here. And for so many people of color, we live in a culture that wants to make us strange to ourselves, mm -hmm. <laughs> that wants to sever us from our own inner knowing. And so the book, See No Stranger, is about what it means to practice love, to labor in love for others, even for our opponents and for ourselves. It's a way of moving through the world that is both personal and political. And it's how we last. I, I really, brother, you talked about leaving the country, you know, not by choice. I actually left the country by choice <laughs> yep. after the election, right? I was so breathless. People were saying, well, how do we breathe? How do we push? And I said, I, I don't know. I know in here, yeah. but I don't know out here. And so I was given a gift that very few women who are mothers and activists are ever given. I was given time off in a room of my own. And I went to a rainforest in Central America with my family. And I took my first deep breath that I had taken in so many years, really since 9-11, since I'd become an activist. And I poured through the stories of my life and through the stories of social movements in the past and through our wisdom traditions. And I began to see patterns, which I came to call practices of revolutionary love. And so I wrote this book for my own survival so that I could come back to the country and last. I believe when we labor in love, it's how we last. And I wanna last, yeah. I wanna grow old. I wanna grow old with you. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. 
Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned September 11, 2001, as the moment of the birth of your own activism. What does that event and the consequences of it, what has that meant for you? Oh, it was a new era for us, for all of us, but especially for those of us who are Muslim or Sikh. In the wake of the horror of those attacks, we know that hate violence you know, erupted across city streets and the first person killed in a hate crime after 9-11 was Bulbir Singh Sodhi a man I knew, a sick, turbaned father who I called uncle. So this was before social media. Yeah. <laughs> this was before we had any channels, any ways to tell our own stories. We just had email. Uh, right. We barely had email. There were just listservs where people were saying, my father's been shot. My brother's been beaten. Help mm. us. Someone save us. And I was a 20-year-old college kid. I had an old camera. I got in my car. I drove across the country and began capturing these stories of my community, and that was the beginning of my life as an activist. And you know, back then, Baratunde, we we thought that we even called it the backlash. You know, we thought it was going to be this narrow, finite era in history that we would look back on. And the backlash never ended. We're almost 20 years later, and Sikh and Muslim Americans are five times more likely to be targets of hate than we were before 9-11. And with every film, with every lawsuit, with every campaign, I thought 
we were making the nation safer for the next generation. And then this president takes power, hate crimes skyrocket once again, rivaling what we saw after 9-11. And now I'm a new mother. And I thought, oh my God, my son is being raised in a country more dangerous for him than it was for me. Or even for my grandfather who arrived 100 years ago, how am I going to last? So the labor for justice, and Black people know this. Mm -hmm. You know, I came to this late, right? You all know this, that the labor for justice is long and hard, and it may go on after we leave this earth. And so how do we last? How do we labor in love so the labor itself becomes an end in itself? That the labor becomes joyful. I, I believe that yeah. laboring for justice with with joy is the meaning of life. You um, you use a phrase in the book that I have tried to use to describe this show that I've seen others doing similar work do, which is living in community. We're inside of an experiment, right? We're in a petri dish. We call this a democratic experiment, but I don't think we often return to the meaning of that. Like we're trying something. That's what an experiment is. We're trying to live together, to labor and love together, in, in, in your words. What are some places, some examples where you've been a part of community efforts to labor and love together? Oh, I'm taken back to the aftermath of the massacre in Oak Creek, Wisconsin in 2012. White supremacist walks into a, a Sikh Gurdwara, opens fire. It's the largest attack on Sikhs in our history on the soil, and it barely gets the kind of media attention that other mass shootings get. And long after the news media left, we stayed. We stayed to watch the community grieve together and breathe together and hold each other in their rage and, and invite their neighbors to grieve with them. That memorial, I remember just looking into the open caskets of people who look like my own aunts and uncles, and I just lost it. And I looked behind me, and there were thousands of people pouring through those doors. 3,000 people came to grieve with us. And what I've discovered is that grieving is frontline social justice work. Mm, wow. People who grieve together, yeah. then organize together. And so, so many of those people who grieved with us were the people who stood by our side as we spent a year demanding that the government start tracking hate crimes against our community. And we won. We changed federal hate crimes policy. We won. So I think about all the grieving that's happening now in the streets since George Floyd's murder and how in our grief, in our bravery, in our grief, we are building relationships and birthing revolutions. <laughs> that will actually, and are actually, dismantling and reimagining institutions of power in this country. Um, thank you for that, because I, again, I, I'm learning with you as I listen. I'm also my listener. And I think the idea that action in a democracy, you know, civic engagement, these words which are so unemotional in, in most cases, they feel like they require kind of explicit policy or political intent or execution. And what you just described is a very human act of empathy to grieve with a community, even maybe especially if you're not a member of that community, to show up for someone else in numbers as a prelude to what starts to look like the word organizing. But it sounds like it's a helpful, if not necessary, precondition. And that's a work that we are doing about reclaiming love as yeah. a force for justice. 
that grieving together is revolutionary love and holding each other in our rage is revolutionary love. Mm and listening to each other is revolutionary love and reimagining the country together is revolutionary love as well as the big acts of policy demand that you are naming that all of that is part of an ecosystem of a healthy movement a vibrant movement that's grounded in the ethic of love yeah i want to get your thoughts on power you dropped that word a while back it often feels like something we are subject to the powers that be concentrations of power acting upon the rest of us. And we're just sort of passengers in the power mobile, maybe being run over by that power mobile. How do you envision, conceive of power, especially with respect to the work that you're up to and the movements you've been a part of? Well, there's different forms of power, right? The kinds of power you are naming is political power, power of the state, power to divide, to oppress, to crush. But when I think about my Black sisters and brothers, siblings in my life who inspire me most, they are powerful <laughs> in their resilience. They are powerful in their wisdom. They are powerful in their ability to love beyond limit. And so I think it's helpful then to think about how we as a generation are called to live into and untap that kind of power yeah. <laughs> to reimagine the country. And we're seeing it. You know, do, do you remember Baratunde after this president took power? It was all about resistance. Yeah, the hashtag resist. resist. Yeah, right? yeah. We had like t-shirts, like we were the resistance. <laughs> and I was proud of us. I thought yeah. it was bold and necessary for our survival, but I was so deeply worried because we were always going to be trapped in an, in an us and them in an adversarial relationship that put them in power. Yeah. You know, and, and kept us powerless if we were just resisting. And what I'm so inspired by now is that we are moving from resistance to reimagining. Reimagining every institution on the face of this country, not just policing and public safety and criminal justice, but our economies, our, and the small institutions in our lives, our, our families, our workplaces, our industries, our houses of worship. I, I think about how all of the great social reformers in history, and I'm gonna read just a piece of this book to you. They, they did more than just resist a few bad actors. They held up a vision of the world as it ought to be. Nanak sang it, Muhammad led it, Jesus taught it. Buddha envisioned it, King dreamt it, Dorothy Day labored for it, Mandela lived it, Gandhi died for it, Grace Lee Boggs fought for it for seven decades. They called for us not just to unseat bad actors, but to reimagine the institutions of power that ordered the world. Any social harm can be traced institutions that produce it, authorize it, or otherwise profit from it. To undo the injustice, we have to imagine new institutions and step in to lead them. That act of reimagining institutions sounds big. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I hear names like Gandhi and Grace Lee Boggs and King, I'm like, those are big people. They're, they're big names. They led folks. They walked into the firing line, sometimes almost literally. What is the person who is unknown to most of us? to do in the act of reimagining? What is the role of the uncelebrity <laughs> of the citizen 
in this reimagining that is so important. Isn't that what you're doing with this podcast? Isn't this a container for all of us to hear voices and stories mm -hmm. about how to reimagine the country, reimagine the world, and our tiny piece of it? All of us have a sphere of influence, a community within reach that we can labor inside and help transition. I'm going to read one more piece of this because I feel like it's something that I had to remind myself of when I feel so overwhelmed and I feel like I am not enough. Yeah. Remember the stars of my childhood in the country? I could look up and see the stars. I had forgotten the stars after so many years of activism. I had forgotten to look up the stars burning so strong and long that their light reaches us long after they have died. Isn't that what our lives and our activism should look like? Not the supernova, a single outburst under pressure. We must be the long burning star, bright and steady, contained and sustained for our energy to reach the next generation long after we die. Oh, and to be part of a constellation. Let us see ourselves as part of a larger picture, even if we are like the second star on Orion's belt or the seventh of the seven sisters, for there is no greater gift than to be part of a movement larger than ourselves. That means that we only need to be responsible for our own small patch of sky, our specific area of influence. We need only to shine our particular point of light long and steady to become part of stories sewn into the heaven. That's beautiful. Can you just read the whole whole book to us? <laughs> we can do it in sure. chapters. We can do it in installments or whatever works out for, for you. Um, that the vision of each of us as a star, first of all, that's dope because we're all stars. Um, yes. And uh, the constellation that the night sky is not about one star, yes. right? It's about the collection of stars which paint this beautiful picture and we're in this sort of cosmic concert together. Uh, so I, I like that being a source of light isn't just something we look to the sun for. The sun is merely a star. <laughs> um, so for anyone who feels like I'm not Gandhi, like that's, you don't have to set that bar. You're a star too. The word citizen is something that I um, wasn't certain I wanted to put in the title of this show because of its uh, negative meaning, because there are people who have that legal status and people who don't. And I didn't want to send that signal, draw that line in the sand. Well, this is only for people with a social security number or the right paperwork. And I had to step back from that and say, no, this is, we're going to reclaim, we're going to reimagine, right? That was, that was the point. Yes. What do you make of the word citizen um, in the context of the work in your life, in the context of your family's century long history uh, in this country, or maybe that legal status wasn't always available. Um, and we have the current battles over who deserves to be seen as a person with citizen kind of hanging in the balance. Oh, that word citizen. <laughs> I have struggled over the word um, precisely because it was something that was denied to my family for so long. And now that we have it, I always thought in the words of Hannah Arendt that the that citizenship was that thin membrane to protect mm. us from state violence. And now even that is not enough, especially if you are sick or Muslim in this country, <laughs> thinking about all that we have suffered in the form of national security policies since 9-11. And that is alongside our Latinx brothers and sisters and siblings are 
other indigenous folks. I mean, the, the word citizen is not the kind of protective label that we thought it was, that I thought it was. And so I like what you're doing, brother. I like what you're doing. You're, you're reclaiming it and you're reimagining it. You're infusing it with new meaning so that it's no longer about a legal status, but about a set of responsibilities and a set of callings for how to show up in the world with bravery and with integrity and with dignity. And for you to say, no, all of us, all of us can become, all of us are citizens. Mm-hmm. And, and to citizen is a verb, it's an action that we take. I, in my offering is like, I believe that we citizen through revolutionary love. <laughs> I believe that showing up with revolutionary love is how to citizen. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a part of your work and a part of this whole project, this experiment of living in community with others that is very challenging when the others with whom we live are a challenge to us. When we do not see eye to eye, when they are fighting tooth and nail to maybe deny in us some dignity, some resource, uh, some livelihood. And we're living in a time right now of great division in our experiment. It's always been divided, the United States of America, never fully united, but now feels pressing. And there's things that you call for in your work that have to do with listening to, engaging with, acknowledging those who we might think of as enemies. I think you call them opponents. I'd love to hear about that. The community is not all like-minded. And so the role of and the way to engage with those who are differently minded while not giving up the integrity of our own right to be feels like a very important and potentially difficult path to walk. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's so difficult. It's the hardest part. If I'm seeing no stranger, how do I look into the faces of people who disgust me, who I want to hate and see them as a part of me I do not yet know? I mean, what does it mean to love them? The audacity to ask that. And when I think about what you're doing with the word citizen, you have to be citizens and you have to citizen in community, right? So too, I believe that we as citizens all have different roles in the labor for justice at different times. So if you are someone right now who has a knee on your neck, like so many black people and brown people do right now, it is not necessarily your role to look up at your oppressor and wonder about him. Hmm listen to him or even try to love him. No, your job is to stay alive. Your job is to take the next breath. Your job is to survive. That is your revolutionary act. But if you are someone by virtue of your white skin or whatever privilege you wield, who is safe enough and brave enough to sit with those kinds of opponents, then perhaps it is your role to tend to their wounds. Because what we know to be true is that no matter who is elected on, on election day in November, all those disaffected white folks out there, they're still going to be around the next day. So what do we do with them? And this book is filled with stories of times when I have sat with white supremacists. I have sat with prison guards and soldiers. I've sat with former abusers. And every time I want to leave, I stay, right? It's a discipline to stay and keep listening. And beneath their slogans and sound bites, I start to hear their story. And then I start to see their pain. I start to see their wound. See, I, I have learned that there are no such thing as monsters in this world. Mm. There are only human beings who are wounded, 
who, who do what they do out of their own sense of insecurity or anxiety or greed or blindness. And their participation in oppression comes at a cost. It cuts them off from their own capacity to love. So the thing about this Baratunde revolutionary love is to labor for others, our opponents and ourselves. It is not just moral. It is strategic. It is pragmatic because once I gain information. <laughs> there we go. She's a spy. I knew there was a hook. I'm like, wait for it. Wait for it. Here it comes. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about the strategy of this. The strategy is like, I need to know what you're listening to. What radio programs? Who's mm. putting the guns in your hands? What institutions are radicalizing you or authorizing you to hurt us? And then I can be so much more smart about our strategies for campaigning for change. I mean, our goal then is not just to unseat a few bad apples, a few bad police officers, or even to unseat this president. I mean, we need to do that. <laughs> but I'm more interested in changing the conditions that put him into office in the first place. I'm more interested in dismantling and or reimagining the institutions of power that harm all of us. I mean, our suffering is not equal, but those who hold the keys to ourselves, who are trained, who are training their eyes to see us as animals, that too takes a cost. Yeah. And so what does it mean to hold up a vision that liberates all of us? That that is our revolutionary intervention. I thank you for that. The strategy got me. And I think that there is purpose to it. It isn't just self flagellation. No. <laughs> Look how much I can suffer. Look how noble I am to walk into the lion's den. Yeah, there's lions in it. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> understanding. To, I'm going to run this lion metaphor too far, understanding what the lions eat, understanding why they look at you the way they do, what their needs are. And I think, you know, the way you just described some of these individuals that you've interacted with, with their wounds, you're in a relationship with them. And I think that in a collective sense, we're in a relationship with our nation and our nation has wounds, right? And it has traumas in its past and it has pain. And for us to not merely condemn, but seek to wonder about and understand this place that we have a right to, that we, if we're here, we have a right to it. Papers or not, we've contributed something that we can apply some of those same metaphors and same lessons to that collective relationship, as well as our individual ones in our lives. Yes, that's it. And I always say that we need all three kinds of practices of love for love to be revolutionary. So loving just our opponents, that is self-loathing. <laughs> loving just ourselves, that is escapism. Yeah. And loving just others, that's ineffective. And too many of our movements have been there. And I am really proud of the deep bonds of solidarity that we are seeing and how people are loving each other in our movements for justice. But how many young activists are dying early or taking their lives or getting sick or opting out? We're not building enough spaces to help each other love ourselves, to love our own flesh and blood so that we will last. And then how many of us are tempted to mirror the kind of vitriol that we are fighting? We cannot become what we are fighting against. So this ethic of love, you know, to hold each other in community and to start to practice and cultivate love for ourselves, even for our opponents and others, that I think is how we can sustain each other in a way that we can last with integrity, with our souls intact. Well, I mean, I definitely want my soul to be intact. I didn't even know that was on the line. Thank you. That's on you the just, line. You just raised the bar. Um, our, ourselves, um, opponents, and others, three O's. I like that. You've kind of designed this whole thing. There's a piece 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Can I add? I mean, this is this is why I draw heavily from black thinkers in this book, heavily from Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde um, and Toni Morrison. I shall permit no man, no matter what his color might be, to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him, said Booker T. Washington. Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison, hate does that, burns off everything but itself. So whatever your grievance is, your face looks just like your enemies. I choose to love my opponents. I choose to see their humanity in order to preserve my own. Laboring to love my opponents is also how I love myself. This is not the stuff of saintliness. This is our birthright. If we, if we do this work of love, radical, revolutionary, and we do it in community, what do we risk if we don't focus on the self, on the work that we have to do inside? What, what do you think happens if we have this sort of imbalanced approach, I think, by your own definition of the whole approach? We lose everything, don't we? I don't know, Baratunde. When this president took power and I was putting my son to sleep at night, there was a voice in my head that was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't live in this world. I'm not strong enough. I had, I had pushed for so long and so hard and ground my own bones to the ground and thought that serving meant I had to suffer and keep myself suffering, that I had forgotten that my own life, that my own body was beloved and worth fighting for. And it took this year in the rainforest for me to really begin to understand that we can't last if we're not loving ourselves. And I don't call it self-love. Mm -hmm. When you are barely hanging on by a thread, it's not your job then to love yourself. You know, you, know, you need to, you need community to help you love. Like we don't give birth alone. We don't go to battle alone. Like in any long labor, including the labor of keeping ourselves healthy and alive and well, we need each other. We depend on each other. So cultivating communities of care where we are taking seriously our, our own precious lives I worry sometimes about this incredible, energetic, new rising generation. I see myself in them. I remember what it was like to get arrested for the first time and, you know, to speak truth to power, holding the megaphone in the streets. And, and I also just want to tell them, oh, breathe, my love. <laughs> this is going to be one long labor. Are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you yeah. breathing? Who is going to have your back and how? Will you remember to love yourself well enough so in 20 years you can last so you don't have that voice in your head like I had in mine? I could spend five hours with you. I will not. But I <laughs> think I have two more thoughts slash questions. So much of what the focus of our civic energy right now in the U.S. is, is about this president. As it was eight years ago with the last presidential transition, if we just get rid of this president, we will solve things or we hate so much because there is so much to hate about the actions and the cruelty done in our name through this administration do you have any concern that we have in focusing on this president actually given this person too much power oh of course i even thought that this president was an aberration that if we just could remove him it would all be okay again <laughs> But we know that normal was never okay for black and brown and indigenous people. And it took me going to the rainforest and really seeing my country from the outside of it for me to really reckon with genocide and slavery 
I mean, that farmland that I grew up on, that was my own, that I belonged to, there was blood in that land. Just a few decades ago, the largest, most documented genocide of Native peoples took place in California. And a few decades later, my grandfather arrived as if those people were never there. And we were complicit, right? And so if we take Indigenous peoples' memories as a true starting point of the history of the Americas, then this presidency is not an aberration. It is a continuation of what helped found this country of the white supremacist violence that has built this country through slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, mass incarceration now. And so, so once we understand that, once we see this president as simply a symptom, I mean, the ugliest form of that symptom, so vivid, so in front of our faces every day. Mm-hmm. But if we just remove him, all of the institutions that were founded on those beliefs, all of the cultural norms that that move through him and his body and breath, right? Like those don't go away and all of his supporters don't either. So what we're talking about is a much longer transition. And this is the timeline. I know we're looking to November and it does matter. I mean, I really do want to unseat this president because then we give ourselves a chance to labor for our nation instead of just being in crisis response mode. And that's what too too many of us did, right? Under Obama, we're like, it's done. We went home. And it's like, no, no, actually the window (laughs) opens. The labor begins. The true labor begins. Because this moment that we are in, we are in a much larger transition moment within 25 years the number of people of color will exceed the number of white people for the first time since colonization so yes we are at a crossroads will we continue to descend into a kind of civil war a power struggle with people who want to return america to a past where a certain class of white people hold power or will we begin to birth a nation that has never been on the face of this planet a nation made up of other nations, a nation that is truly multiracial, multi-faith, multicultural, where we see no stranger. Those are the stakes. And when with climate change, you know, time is running out. Yeah, yeah. So what we do, what our generation does, <laughs> not just between now and November, but past November, oh, it matters. It matters not only for the future of our country, how we citizen matters for the future of the earth and for the future of humanity. I literally couldn't have said it better myself. Now, normally, when you got a show called How to Citizen with Baratunde and your guest says something that powerful, you cut the interview, it's over, that's a wrap. But I couldn't let it go at that. Valerie said one more thing that I think you need to hear. So check out what she did and learned about herself on election night 2016. On... Election night. I I keep going back there because we're about to experience another election night, Mm -hmm. right? As the results came in, I remember, you know, horror seizing my my body and my hand on my mouth. And my son, who was almost two at the time, uh, tugged my sleeve and said, dance time, mommy. (laughs) And I looked at my husband saying, not tonight. I mean, how it's the last thing. And my husband looked at me and he just shrugs, you know, and he says, your rules you said every night because <laughs> i like to lay the rules <laughs> okay so we turned down the music and in the, fir- in the beginning oh my god baritone i was so miserable i yeah. was just weighing back and forth i just felt like i was a zombie i was so dead and my son you know baby you're a fire work and he leaps into my arms 
And suddenly he's like, throw me up, mommy. Boom, boom, boom. Even brighter than the moon. <laughs> yes. So I pick him up and he's squealing and he's laughing. And suddenly I'm laughing and he's dancing and I'm dancing. And Baratunde, we were dancing on election night. I mean, <laughs> I just, anyone who may have like seen into your home from a distance, I can imagine what they're thinking, which is like, those are not the people I would have thought celebrating tonight. But hey, it's America. So. <laughs> That's right. Afterwards, I felt this energy rising up in my body, which I can only describe as, as joy. And I thought, oh, in the Sikh faith, it's called Jadvikala, ever rising spirits, even in the darkness, joyfulness, even in the labor. And I thought, oh, joy is our greatest act of moral resistance. Joy returns us to everything that is good and beautiful and worth fighting for. Joy will give us energy in this long labor for justice. So how are you protecting your joy every day? Yo, so you feel that too, right? That mind expansion, that heart expansion that dopeness of Valerie Cower, who I knew was powerful. That's why I booked her. But yo, she blew me out the water and I'm still hearing her words. I'm hearing her say, there are no such things as monsters in this world, only human beings who've been wounded. I'm hearing her say, love ourselves, others, and our opponents. I'm hearing her say, how we citizen matters for the future of the earth and the future of humanity. I mean, no pressure, new show. Wow. <laughs> we make this show for you, not just to listen to, not just to watch, and we have video as well. We make this show to give us all a way to practice how to citizen, to turn our outrage and our energy into actions that when taken together on the topics we explore in this series will have an impact on our communities. Like I said at the beginning of this show, How to Citizen at its core is about relationships with ourselves and with others. So in each episode, we're going to share things you can do internally and externally to strengthen your citizen practice. When I call it a citizen practice, it reminds me of my older sister, Belinda, and her yoga studio and her yoga practice. So this is for you, sis. For this episode, here's what you can do. We've adapted something straight out of Valerie's book, See No Stranger. It's a writing exercise, and we want you to spend 15 minutes on it to reflect internally on these five prompts. Now, this reflection is about the journey, not the destination. This is not about having the right answers or the shortest one-word answers that are going to assure you a great grade. We're not grading. Spend some time. Breathe into this and push out the answers that feel most true for you. Laying this kind of foundation is going to be important later as we start taking actions focused a bit more on external relationships with others. So the five prompts. Number one, what is your superpower in our fight to make society better for us all? Is it your voice? Is it your pen? Is it a bank account? Number two, what protects you and who has your back when things get tough? Number three, who is your beloved community, your revolutionary pocket, the group of people you connect most with, the group that will show up when things get tough? Number four, what object or activity will ground and center you and remind you of who you are? 
Number five, where do you find joy? And what are you going to do every day to protect that joy? We would love to hear, see, or just read your reflections to any or all of these questions. Email us, old school, action at howtocitizen.com. Help us out by mentioning episode zero or prelude in the subject line. We are so grateful to Valerie Cower for helping us give birth to this show. Please check out her revolutionaryloveproject.com or dive into her book and curriculum at seenostranger.com and follow her on Twitter at Valerie Cower, V-A-L-A-R-I-E-K-A-U-R. And if you like what you experienced here, please share the show, leave a review. Five stars is my humble suggestion. And sign up for my newsletter at baratunde.com where I will announce the upcoming live tapings and more from audience members like you. You can even send me a text to 202-894-8844. Let me know you found me by just putting the word citizen so I know where you came from. And I'll send you updates that way as well. How to Citizen with Baratunde is a production of iHeartRadio Podcast. Executive produced by Nick Stumpf, Miles Gray, Elizabeth Stewart, and Baratunde Thurston. Produced by Joelle Smith. Edited by Justin Smith. Powered by you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 